pray together. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you that your word declares that we can live a debt-free life, that we can owe no man nothing except to love him. And so, Father, we claim that no matter what it looks like, no matter how we feel, no matter what we see, we claim that, not only for the church, corporately, that every debt that we have on this building is paid by faith in the name of Jesus, but that individually as well, we declare with one voice, say this with me, we are debt-free. I am debt-free in the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Well, <clears throat> a couple of things we want to do this morning before we get into, the, uh, get into the Word. I want to introduce someone to you that has agreed to come and, and help us with the children's ministry for a season of time uh, while we pray and seek the Lord about what we're supposed to be doing. And uh, <clears throat> so, you know, we've been remodeling the children's building. We've been putting some resources back there, and it's looking really, really good, jam up. When we get done with it, it's going to just look amazing with what the uh, children's team, design team, and all that stuff has put into it and what they've got a vision for. And so we want to make a place for our kids. And so I wanted to read this to you. In Matthew chapter 19, <clears throat> Jesus was talking about marriage and divorce. <clears throat> then he talks about celibacy. Then the little children were brought to him that he might put his hands on them and pray. <clears throat> but the disciples rebuked them. But Jesus said, Let the little children come unto me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And he laid his hands on them and departed from there. Why did I read that? Because I want you to understand that the heart of God, the heart of Jesus, is to reach our children. And any church that's going to grow and have any lasting impact in the kingdom of God and in this world has got to have a, a ministry and a mechanism in place to take our kids and raise them up in the admonition of the Lord. And so even though we don't have a children's minister right now, we still knew that the Lord was directing us to really revamp their whole facility so that the kids and the parents of the kids would know that they are priority for us. And so in that, we were praying, and uh, Miss Laurel Roth, come on up here, Miss Laurel, I want to introduce you. She, uh, I began to put out feelers with all of our relational connections and said, look, we need somebody to come and help us. Uh, just help us. We're not asking for anybody to come. As the Lord wants to do it, so be it. But we really wanted someone to come that, have a, that has a heart for children. How many of you know you need a heart for children's ministry? And it's, a, it's an anointing, it's a grace, it's a gifting that is deposited into you. And so Miss Laurel's uh, name came across and I called her and talked with her. And we talked for quite a while. And then the second time we talked, I found out that she's actually a Rhema grad. So I was like, well, shoot, that seals the deal for me. Just come on and help us, you know, because I'm a Rhema grad. And then she also went to CLST, which is Dr. Ron Cottle's school. So she's got connections with us relationally that we didn't even know. And she's just been a good fit all around. So she's got over 30 years of experience in children's ministry. That's what she's called to do. She's done things in Africa. And so I'm going to bring her up and let her introduce herself to you guys and just kind of tell you a little bit more about who she is. You're welcome. Thank you. This is an honor to be here. I appreciate it so much, and I don't ever take it lightly and, and appreciate 
Pastor, um, I don't take it lightly when somebody opens up their, their hearts and, and allows me to minister to children because your most precious resource in any church is your children. That's the most valuable and, and precious resource, so I don't take that lightly. Um, as, as Pastor said, I've been, I graduated from Rama in, um, and, and I'm just going to do this real quick in a nutshell, and it, well, a long time ago, <laughs> many, many years before Pastor did. And of course, especially back in that era of church, uh, where the church was at large, I just, you know, I wanted to go save the world, you know, and that was not doing children's ministry. I did not have any idea I was called a children's ministry. I kept finding myself in the children's ministry. I moved to Dublin, Georgia to help start a new church, which where I still live, um, to help with just to get the children's ministry going. But I always thought that was until somebody who was called to children's ministry would come along and take it, and I could go do important ministry business. And, and I kept going in and out of children's ministry, this is the truth, for 15 years not realizing that's what that was my primary I don't want it's not the only but primary call and it and it literally took it's a long story a prophetic word for God to get through to me and uh and when I finally really went to him in prayer and laid that before him like are you is this really you God is this what you're saying and, and it was so simple you know how God is so simple why do you think you always end up in there and so that was, um, I went back in there and uh, to do it again, but this time I went in as a learner. Okay, if this is what you want me to do, then teach me. Because up to that point, children's ministry was there. Children's pastor went into the children's church, did everything, and in a matter of two or three years, they're burned out. And then you need another one in two or three years because you've burned out the children's pastor. And, and, then, and so I would do it two or three years, do everything, get burned out until somebody came that I felt was called to do children's ministry. They did it two or three years, got burned out. And so I would step in until they found a real children's ministry, that, that kind of thing. So when I went in this time and asked the Lord to teach me, we as a church in Dublin were just getting hold of the revelation of team ministry. And the Lord said, I want you to build a team. And, 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 and that settles the burnout issue. And because no one person does everything. So in, in a nutshell, what I do, I minister to kids. I, I, I do three things that's developed through the years. I do three things. I teach about God's heart where generations is concerned. And it's much bigger than children's church. Do you know in Genesis chapter 18, the, God says in, chapter, in verse 19, he says, the reason I chose Abraham. Now God at this time is looking for a people that he can work redemption through. He needs people so he can bring his son Jesus for redemption so we can be saved. Has to come through a people. So he's looking for a man that he can use to raise up a nation. And he says in Genesis 18, 19, I chose Abraham because I know he will command his children after him. Because he knew it would take generations for his purpose to be fulfilled. So he found somebody that had a heart for generations that was going to teach their son, that was going to teach their children, that was going to teach their children. And the very last thing, what Jesus said when, uh, when he came, when he, one of the very last things in the book of Acts, I shouldn't say what Jesus said, when Jesus goes up to heaven and they're watching him go up to heaven, now Jesus, they waited thousands of years for Jesus to come the first time. And everything God did was preparing the earth for Jesus to come the first time. When he goes up into heaven, an angel says, as, as to the people looking at him going up, why are you looking at him going up? He's coming again. But the same principle applies. It takes generations. And we have to raise the generations 
just like Abraham had to teach their sons, teach their sons, and there's lots of scriptures that talk about this. We have to pass on to the next generation. So it's more than Sunday school. It's more than Sunday school. We're preparing generations to, for this, what's coming on this earth for Jesus' return. So what I'm going to be doing, what I do is I teach on God's generational heart. I train children's workers, which is actually my favorite thing to do. How to minister to kids, how to make the Bible, that, get it down to their understanding. My favorite thing to do, and I feel like the, the thing that I, my strength with children's ministry is, is I love to lead them into the presence of the Lord that they can experience Jesus for themselves. Just like we have that experience when we come in here during praise and worship, that they encounter Jesus. So that he's not just a theory and it's not just a teaching, but it's the reality that they know Jesus for themselves and, and develop a relationship with Jesus for themselves. So I do children's ministry and then I minister to kids. And so I've done it here in the States. I've started, you know, I did, built our team in Dublin and then I started doing workshops for surrounding areas and now and then I started going to Africa about five and a half years ago to build do workshops because African churches have no concept of children's ministry kids play out in the dirt until they don't even pay attention to him till they're 18 and I and so I've, I don't know I, I don't know right now but now there are churches in Africa that have children's ministries that didn't used to have them and that's ongoing I'm going to Uganda in June and probably back to South Africa in September or October but, um, and I even lived over there for one year, and, to, and I got familiar with the culture in South Africa. But this is what I do. It's what I love to do. It's what I was put on this earth to do. So um, what, what we're going, what the plan is here to do is to hold a workshop here. On, so and I give those details. Uh, yes, Saturday, Nova, um, April 30th, from 10 a.m. to 1 p.m., we're going to have a workshop here to train children's workers. Now, let me encourage you in this. Um, where it comes to team ministry and the different areas of it, if you really want to have a successful, growing, functioning children's ministry that meets every area of their needs, and, and we need lots of helpers, and you don't necessarily need to have that unction. You, you, you know, I, you don't even need to teach if you don't want to. We need helpers. We need people to play games. We need people to help with their relationships. We need people to help with refreshments. If, and, and what I try to encourage a church to do or people to do when it comes to a workshop, if you think if at all, if you're interested at all or anything at all just says, well, it just might be good just to sit through. To, to come and allow the, Lord, the Holy Ghost to do an, have an opportunity to at least see if maybe there's a little bit of responsibility because it really does take, a, you know, the whole, it takes a village. It really does. It takes a church. Even if we're, not everybody's called to children's ministry, no doubt. But it does take a team if, we're, if, nobody, if there's no burnout in all the areas to get met. And then if you have a team, then people get scheduled. Nobody's in there all the time and, and all of those practical things. So Saturday, November 30th from 10 to 1, we're going to do a workshop here. Um, and, and I would just, I just want to ask you just to open your hearts to see if, and just come, just be curious. Um, I mainly, it's mainly for first through sixth graders, but when I do workshops, we open it up to anybody working with toddler all through youth because principles apply to all ages. And even if you just have children, um, to maybe just come and get encouraged. I've had tremendous testimonies from parents who've come after a workshop just to say the difference it made in the way they viewed their children and, and teaching their children at home about Jesus. So anyway, that's just in a nutshell. Um, I think that's um, what we're doing. And I just want to thank you again. It's an honor to be here. Love your kids. You've got great amen, kids. Amen. Amen. Thank you. That's good. That's good. That's good.
April 30th. April 30th is when the workshop's going to be. So if you're interested, we've got sign-up sheets out in the lobby. And you can call the office and, and register. How many of you know that we overcome him, meaning Satan, by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony? Amen? So we want to pray for, some, we want to pray for someone and maybe some other folks in just a minute. But I wanted to get Mr. Dinku, come on up here and, and give your testimony. Uh, he, he asked me this morning about a testimony about healing. And then I'm going to get you to lead us in a, in a prayer for folks, okay? Will yes, you sir. testify? All right. Good morning. Praise God. Hallelujah. Um, I, my name is Dinku, D-I-N-K-U. I'm uh, originally from Ethiopia. I left my country over 30 years ago. Um, the images you see now on TV about Im immigrants in Europe, that was my family 30 years ago. Um, we hopped from land to land. We lived in Europe, we lived in uh, several states in the U.S., and now we are in Tifton, Georgia. <laughs> um, so, I was basically separated from my family. Several months back, news started coming that my youngest sister was sick. There are six of them. This was a feisty little girl when I was there. I tried to take care of her when I was there. She was a rebellious little thing, but I loved her dearly. Um, they rebelled 30 years ago also. You know, it's not just now. Teenagers rebel. So the news came that she was sick, and we've not had contact. And so just my heart went out, and um, I tried to get in touch with her, and uh, finally one time I called, and I said, this is your brother, and she said, this is a joke. I said, no, it's not a joke. I heard about what, you know, what you're going through, and she started crying. Telling me that she was dying. So I don't know what the problem was. So I came here. And there was a, a call for prayer here at the altar. And I uh, came with my wife. This is my wife, by the way. I'm sorry. Um, and Brother Langston and his wife were there the first one. We went to him and we prayed. I said... What I need is a miracle. I don't know what is going on, but whatever it is, I need a miracle. I want my sister to be restored to what, where she was before this thing happened. We continue our vigil at home. We tried to call her regularly and to encourage her. And one of the scriptures that we used actually was what the pastor read earlier, Psalm 91, I believe. We tried to lead her. I don't know. We are Ethiopia, a lot of Ethiopians. We have half of them are uh, Orthodox believers. There's a lot of religion. We don't know whether that is saved or not saved. We try to encourage her to trust the Lord, to do what God has done through His Son for her. And we prayed for her, and she said, yes, I will. I will hold on to that. Last week, Brother Morris, after his sermon, 
He said he felt like there's somebody who needed a prayer. I was the first one to get up. I went with him, and the elders came around me, and we prayed. What she's dealing with is hepatitis C. She went to a dentist, had a dentist work, and she got infected. And I don't know if it's part of the medicine or part of the, the, uh, what she got, the hepatitis C virus, but her liver is failing. And so we prayed, and we've been praying. Last Wednesday, 4 o'clock in the morning, I, I got a call. And I know the tune of that, the Viber, it's, I don't know if you know it, it's a new software out there that you can call anywhere in the world, Viber, I know the tune, and at four in the morning, it's, I, I don't get calls in the morning, so I just, my heart just went out, and uh, I looked at it, and my wife said, who is it, and I said, it's my sister, and then, and then immediately there was a, a text, she, it said, I'm happy, that's why I'm calling, Right, so I called her, and she said, I just had a blood work done. Came negative for the virus. <laughs> so when they do the lab work, the virus count, they can count from a liter of blood, which is about 34 ounces, they can count from 15 to up to a million viruses. So depending on what category you are, that tells you how serious your condition is. They could not find 15 of these viruses. Why I wanted to get up today was not only to talk about this, but this altar is a gift from God to you. You can come here and lay your burden at the feet of the throne of grace and mercy. And there are people here that are in tune with God that are willing to come and pray with you and share your burden. There's no shame coming here. God loves a broken heart. Whatever it is that you're dealing with, don't consider it too small to come here at this altar. That's all. Thank you. Hallelujah. I know we've got one. Miss Geneva, come on up. We're going to lay hands on Miss Geneva's sister's uh, husband. Is that correct? Um, we prayed for him. Uh, what was it? Pray for her. And now it's him. And so we know that's an attack. Um, <clears throat> Amen. But now he's got prostate, prostate cancer. It's what they've diagnosed him with. Um, so here's what, I, here's what I felt like we needed to do. Is there anybody else that wants us to pray together? Everybody stand up. Let's just stand together. Sometimes we sit and we get into this spectator mode where we're watching something. I want everybody to participate this morning. Is there anybody else that needs healing or that wants to stand in for somebody that needs healing? Is there anybody else? Hallelujah. Come on up. Hallelujah. Yes, just come on up. Hallelujah. <clears throat> Thank you, Lord. Y'all just line up on the front.
Amen. Hallelujah. The Bible says that in the last days, these signs will follow them that believe. In my name, they will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. How many of you in here are believers this morning? So if you feel led, or even if you don't feel led, stretch your hands forward towards them. And if you want to, come on up. Let's lay hands on them together as a family. Come on, Casey. <clears throat> come on, everybody. Come on. Hallelujah. We're going to pray together. Hallelujah. We've got every manner of ailment and disease and everything else represented, it seems like, this morning. I know. <clears throat> Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Just stretch your hands forward towards them. In Ephesians, it says that God raised Jesus up and set him in heavenly places beside him. And also says that everything that has a name that is named is under his feet, not only in this world, but in the world to come. And he says also in, in the second chapter that we are seated in heavenly places with him in Christ Jesus. We have that same authority. In Jesus, everything that is named, every disease that is named is under the feet of Jesus, and we have authority over it. Yes. In Jesus' name. Yes. Let me hold that. <clears throat> I'm going to let you pray. We're, we're gonna, what we're going to do is we're going to let Mr. Denku pray, and we're going to set ourselves in agreement with his prayer. So would you pray over everyone? Thank you, yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah, Lord. Father, you love those who humble themselves in their throne, Lord. You are in control of all our lives, Senegita. Hallelujah. Lord, every single person represented here, Father, I just lift up their spirit to you. A spirit their burdens to you, Lord. Whatever it is in their hearts, Father, that it's just too much, Lord, to carry, Lord. Just too much to carry. Father, just lift it all up, Father. Whoever needs healing, Father, just touch. Speak that healing into coming to being, Lord. Touch if you need to touch, Father. Whisper in the ears and hearts if you need to whisper, Lord. Breathe if you have to breathe, Lord. You're not limited by anything. You're not limited by time. You're not limited by space. You're not by, limited by anything. You can do it. We just release, Father, your spirit in this place right now, Lord. And just take burdens, each person's, each single person's burden. Who is here, who is not here, that's being prayed for, Lord. We just lift up corporately, Father, together into you our prayers, Father. Corporate prayers are strong. You said that in your word, Lord. And so together, in one unit, Lord, as one, as your sons and daughters who have received your grace through the Son, your Son, Jesus Christ, what you've done at the cross, Father, we just lift up. We invite your presence, Lord. Be here, Father. Touch hearts, Lord. Touch minds, Lord. Touch peace. Bring peace, Lord. 
that it is possible. Nothing is impossible for you. That's what you tell us in your word, Lord. So you can do it, whatever it is that's being prayed for, Lord. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Now listen to me. Faith takes those things that may not be and brings them into pass and acts like they are so. Hallelujah. They told me five years ago I'd be on oxygen the rest of my life. I'm through My healing is just... I know my healing is... Yes, that's right. Amen. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Oh. Thank you, Lord. Hallelujah. 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 Now faith is the substance of things hoped for. It is the evidence of things not seen. And so as you leave this altar, after having hands laid on you in the prayer of faith and all of us in agreement, there's a tremendous opportunity sometimes to walk away and begin to look at all the natural circumstances that surround your healing and question whether or not something manifested. And that's when you reach up and you say, Faith is the substance. And so you take your faith and somebody says, are you healed? And you say, yes. Do you feel healed? Well, you may not. You may not look healed. But you take your faith and you say, this is my substance. And this faith is based upon this Word of God. And this Word says that by His stripes, you and I were healed. The manifestation of that healing may not have taken place. It may not be here. It may have. But the reality of it is that at the name of Jesus and at the blood of Jesus, everything has to bow its knee. And so I heard the Lord, you know, just in my spirit, I heard keep the switch of faith on. You know what I mean when I say keep the switch of faith on? Keep that switch on. When that doubt tries to come, you cast that doubt. You take that doubt captive and you bring it under subjection of the Word of God and you say, no, The Word of God says that the prayer of faith will raise the sick up. You believe that this morning. So Lord, we thank you that we agree in faith that it is done in the name of Jesus. Right now in the name of Jesus, we we expect manifestations to take place even during this service this morning that the reality and the manifestation of what we know to be truth and what we know to be Uh, sure and what we know that will happen beyond a shadow of a doubt I thank you Lord that it's going to manifest begin to manifest itself right now during this service in the name of Jesus hallelujah father we thank you for this morning for what you've done already Lord we we just so honor you and give you thanks our master our Lord our father Lord, as we step into this next 
phase of what it is, Lord, that you want to deposit into us. Lord, I, I, I pray that you make my tongue the pen of a ready writer, able to speak that word in season. Lord, I thank you that you would think through my mind and speak through my mouth. Give me utterance by the unction of the Holy Spirit that resides on the inside of me. Hallelujah. I'm going to take your Bibles and stand with me one more time. And let's declare this together and get our hearts prepared. Let's just engage, continue to engage the Holy Spirit like we've already done. Father, we desire to hear everything that you have for us this morning. And so we corporately join together in faith. And we are believing you to minister the word to us this morning. Take your Bibles and just say, this is my Bible. It is written to me. I am what it says I am. I can have what it says I can have. And I can do what it says I can do. I am a child of the Most High God. I'm a son or a daughter. I am blessed. I am loved. I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I am not a mistake, but I have a destiny and a purpose. And I believe that this morning I will receive everything you have for me this morning. In the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. You may be seated. Hallelujah. So thankful for all the things that have gone on this morning already. It's just been real, real good. Amen? Thank Miss Laurel Roth when you get a chance. I mean, it just takes a tremendous anointing to minister to kids. Uh, those of you that have kids know that there's an anointing. It's a special call. But I wanted to, you know, just say this uh, before we get into it. Um, you know, there's many different areas that, that all of you can plug into. There's many different things that the Lord is doing here in our midst. And we need volunteers. We need help in every area. And the, the toughest thing, I think sometimes, I know in my experience, the toughest thing to find help for is nursery and children's ministry. And uh, I don't know why that is. Well, I, I take that back. I know why that is because the enemy knows that if he can stop it from the beginning, he can prevent them from being raised up in, in the admonition of the Lord. And so it's always been a challenge to find those helps. So I encourage you to get involved and, and to plug in anywhere that your heart is, but especially be open to what the Lord may want to do. Sometimes we think the Lord wants to do something because that's kind of our predisposition or that's really, you know, it took her 15 years before she recognized that she was going to be, you know, in children's ministry. I never wanted to be a pastor. Never. Never wanted to be a pastor. I wanted to travel, get a plane and drive and fly all over the country and preach. That's what I wanted to do. And the Lord said, no, I got something else for you. And I said, no, 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 no. I, don't want, I didn't even go into, that, into the pastor's group. I went into the evangelist group in my in, at seminary. But the Lord had other plans. And so I challenge you to be open to what the Lord, because there's no greater place to be than exactly where God's graced you and called you to be. Amen? Amen. Well, turn to Ephesians. That's where we're going to begin again this morning. And uh, we started... Two weeks ago, we, we weren't here last week. The youth had a camping trip, and so 
we went to help. Um, my beautiful wife is a part of the youth ministry. She's, uh, she helps the youth pastor, Cornell, minister to the, to the women. And so Cornell and the boys were on a separate island, and the women were all by themselves. So I went and helped them set up, and then we came home and then got up early Sunday morning and went back to help them pack up. So they had a great, wonderful time. So thank you for your prayers. Check out their pictures on Facebook. You can go to NCC, uh, New Covenant Church Tifton Facebook, and you can check out all the pictures. And uh, so we were there. So the week before that, I had started a new series called Redeeming the Time, and I was praying and asking the Lord, what direction, how do we go? And, and so our verse is out of Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 5. If you want to turn there, Ephesians chapter 5. Hallelujah. Verse 15 is where we, where we started. See then that you walk circumspectly, not as fools, but as wise, redeeming the time because the days are evil. And so we talked about what, it, what does it mean to redeem the time? And we talked about how that the, re, the word redeem means to buy back and how that God is the God of time. One of the things that really stood out to me that morning was that God is the God of time. He's the author of time. He is not confined by time. Therefore, time is subject to Him. He is not subject to time. And so if we are made in His image and His likeness, and we are created in Him and for Him and through Him, by Him, to do certain things, therefore time now becomes subject to us. Or are you saying we can manipulate time? No, that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying time now becomes subject to the Word and the authority of God, not the other way around. And so I don't want to go back into it. I just wanted to hit that highlight real quick that, that one commentator said that redeeming the time means that now time follows us. We don't follow it. How is that possible? Well, because time is, is, is really a finite measurement of space and time of, of, an, of, a, uh, of being and God is the author of that and so now God is the author of time when he sees us he sees the expanse of time at one time and so one of the, one of the verses that really came back to me was, uh, was in uh, Acts Acts chapter 1 Verse 7 says, The Father has set within His own authority both the times and the lengths of periods and the seasons characterized by certain events. So God is the author of the times and seasons and how there's two words for times, chronos and kairos. One means a minute by minute. The other one means a season of time. God is the God of both. And so when we operate under His obedience, listen to me, when we obey Him and we walk in step with Him, now time becomes subject to us, not the other way around. Well, I just don't have time. Yes, you do. Quit saying that. We have time because if we are obedient to Him and we are walking in line and in step with Him, now time becomes subject and follows us, follows the plan of God, follows the authority of God, and not the other way around. See, the enemy will tell you you're running out of time. And if that don't work, then he'll tell you you've got plenty of time. Because before you got saved, he said, oh, you got plenty of time to get saved. 
Or you got plenty of time to get involved. You got plenty of time to get married. You've got plenty of time to what? But the moment you begin to step into that thing that God has called you and ordained for you to do, now he begins to do the opposite and says you're running out of time. So he tries to hurry you up. And both are a lie. And I said, Lord, how do we redeem time? How do we redeem it? And he said, when you walk in line with me, when you walk in line and when you walk in, uh, in alignment with him, now time becomes obedient to us because we are in his will and we are exercising his authority and now time begins to be dictated by the will of God rather than the opposite. And so I was praying about this particular part two. And I said, Lord, what, what in the world? How do we go from here? And I felt like the Lord said, I want you all to know what time it is. What time is it? And in verse, in chapter five, in verse 14, he's talking about the fellowship that we have, that when we walk in him, we don't walk in darkness, we walk in light. And he says, but all things, verse 13, are exposed and made manifest in the light, for whatever makes manifest is light. Therefore he says, awake you who sleep, arise from the dead, and Christ will give you light. Guys, it's time for us to begin to walk in some things that I believe the Lord is taking us through. And this is part of that. Redeeming the time is part of understanding. There's an urgency that comes with the Holy Spirit. He doesn't put pressure on us, but there is an urgency that I read even in Ephesians where that was written more than you know 2,000 years ago that was written to us for the purpose of understanding that the time is now. And for me to, for, to express this to you, the only way I know how is that it's time for us to step in to what God has called us to do, you individually and us corporately, for the redemption of time. Because God desires that none should perish, but that all come to that knowledge. How do we do that? By us operating and functioning in our giftedness according to the will of God and allowing now that time begins to be dictated by us. You know, Romans 12, 2 says, I don't want, he said, do not be conformed to, this, to the pattern of this world or age is what that really means. But be transformed by the renewing of your mind. There's a renewal process that has to take place from our mind standpoint according to where we are in this day and age that needs to take place. And the only way to do that is to allow the transformation process that happens when we renew our minds to the Word of God. And the Word of God says that we have the power to redeem time. He says, awake, rise up. The word for a believer, the, the words for those for us who are believers, it means to awake up out of your sleep. Maybe you've been, maybe you hadn't been sleeping. Maybe you've been running as hard as you can to chase after God. But if that is you, if that's the case, I'm telling you this morning, the alarm clock is going off. Do you know what time it is? The word circumspectly means accurately. The word expresses the accuracy with the outcome of carefulness. 
we have to walk in alignment with him because we have to be careful that we walk circumspectly, that we walk carefully, that we're uh, uh, paying attention. It, ne- it, de- it just, to me, it doesn't make sense. But the world has deceived us to thinking that we don't live in the most important day and age of our time we live in. We live in now. It's quite possible that we could usher in Jesus, the master, before my generation, Generation X, goes home to be with the Lord. It's quite possible that that could be the case because they thought it in the New Testament. Just as quick as Jesus ascended on high, they begin to get after it as if Jesus was coming back the next day. There's an urgency. There's a, there's a, there's a call that is stirring up on the inside of me and on the inside of us and on the inside of churches as a whole. I'm, I'm talking to pastors. I'm talking to ministers. God is moving us. He's stirring us to step in to what it is that he's called us to do and understand that for the first, that for the first time in a long time, the church is recognizing that we have authority. That the things that take place in this world are a res- uh, that we are not only responsible for, but that we have a word and an authority that carries weight in it that can change the destiny of this nation and this world forever. We have that power. But it only comes through us walking in step with Him. And there's times where we try to get ahead of ourselves. There's times where we lag behind. It's walking in step with the Word of God, with the, with the Spirit of God. Romans uh, chapter, uh, chapter 6 says that for as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God. We are to be led by the Spirit of God. And in that leading, He's leading us to redeem time. Why? Because the days are evil. Everybody say, the days are evil. Let me read this to you. The days of life in general are so exposed to evil as to make it necessary to make the most of the seasonable opportunity as long as it lasts. The deception that the enemy wants to tell you is, oh, you've got plenty of time. No, we don't. He called us to redeem time. You don't redeem something that you have plenty of. Come on now. You don't buy back something that you have plenty of. No, he said he's given us the power and the authority to redeem time by walking in step with him because we've lost time. But we can redeem it back. I don't even know how that works. I'll be honest with you. I can't even begin to fathom how that works. But I know it works because God has a way of taking someone that will be obedient to him and redeeming the years that were lost. He did it with the children of Israel. He said, I will give back, I will redeem the years that the locusts took and the the deadly pestilence took. I will redeem those years and I will give you back sevenfold. The Bible says that the enemy has to give back sevenfold what he's taken. What has the enemy taken from you? What have you lost in your life? And I'm telling you, what time is it? It's time for you to get it back. There are many special evil days when the Christian is laid in by silence. Therefore, he needs the more to improve the seasonable times afforded to him. You know, 
The biggest lie from, that has come from church is that God is mad at you. And the enemy has used that to steal and to rob time from us because now we're weighed down with this expectation that if we do anything wrong, God will be mad at us. And that's just not true. The truth is that God is not mad with you. He delights in you. He delights in you. Amen? So now... What does that mean for us? Well, turn to Galatians. Let's just go there. Galatians chapter 6. You believing with me this morning? Galatians chapter 6. So much in this. And I want to make sure that I cover what it is that the Lord wants to cover. Galatians chapter 6. We're talking about redeeming the time. Brethren, verse 1, If a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. Let me tell you, let me tell you what I'm seeing and where we're at. It's time for us as a body, as the body of Christ, to now step into a whole nother level of what God has really intentionally called us to do. And what I see in Galatians is I see this. He says, brother, if any of you is caught up in a trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. You know what that tells me? He didn't say call the pastors, the evangelists, the teachers, the prophets, and the apostles. No, he said, you who are spiritual. Now, he wrote this. He wrote this letter about four to five years after he had visited with them, somewhere between three to four years prior to his visit. So at the end of this visit, he had expected them to reach to such a place that they were able to now restore such a one. What does that mean? That means that there are people in your life that may be in this body that are struggling with something. And the aspect of redeeming the time now comes to us to now take that person, bring them into our kitchen table, drink some coffee with them, and begin to restore them. We, we've, made, uh, we've made church too much like a movie theater. You understand what I'm saying when I say maybe even you know, and there's nothing wrong with the way we have the chairs out here. But if you're not careful, you'll get a mentality that well, I'm supposed to come in here and watch. And there's an aspect of that that I understand that comes from preaching. You're to hear and to listen, but that's an active. Listen to me. That's an active part, not a passive part. You listening is just as active as me preaching. What you and I receive on a Sunday morning at any church, what you and I receive from any conference has more to depend on you and me than it does the, the person standing up here preaching. What you receive from me has more to do with you and us corporately believing together than it even does me. 
Because if God can use a donkey, then he can use a jack leg like me. You understand what I'm saying? He can use anyone. And what I'm saying to you is that there's an active participation that takes place. But, we, but the lie from the enemy is that, well, you just come and sit and watch and then you go home and you feel good about yourself. But God's called us to do something greater. He says in Galatians, you who are spiritual, restore such a one. What does it mean to be spiritual? Well, I'll get into that. I don't want to get into that right now because I'm wanting, to, I'm wanting to tell you where we're going. Are you with me? Can you see where we're going? I'm wanting to tell you where we're going and then I'll tell you how we're going to get there. But I got to get you to see the big picture. You who are spiritual, restore such a one. Go to 1 Corinthians. I'm going to jump over there real quick. 1 Corinthians. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians chapter, let me find it. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. Come on, y'all can do better than that. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor. What time is it? It's time to get up. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ. I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it, and even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. Go to, hold your finger there and go to Hebrews chapter, I believe it's chapter 6. Hebrews chapter, chapter 6. Brethren, when I came to you, I was not able to feed you with meat, but milk. And it looks like you still ain't there. I still got to feed you with milk. That's what he's saying in 1 Corinthians. Hebrews chapter 6. Hallelujah, let me find it. Hebrews chapter 6. Hallelujah. All right, Lord, where's that verse at? Hallelujah. Maybe that's not the one. Thank you, Lord. No, that's not it either. Hallelujah. There it is. Hebrews 6, chapter 1. That's what it was. Therefore, leaving the discussion of elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of the faith towards God, or of the doctrines of baptism, the laying on of hands, of the resurrection of dead, and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of this age to come, if they fall away to renew them again to repentance. Verse 7, For the earth which drinks in the rain that often comes up, comes upon it and bears herbs useful for those by using it and cultivated receives blessings from God. But if it bears thorns and, and, and briars, it is rejected. 
and near to being cursed, whose end is to be burned. But beloved, we are confident of better things concerning you. Yes, the things that accompany salvation, though we speak in this manner. There's things that come after salvation. And the lie of the enemy is that, well, you, you got born again. That's all you need to do. No, there's, there's much more that God has called us to do. And that part of what he's called us to do is to understand that God desires for us to be raised up together as a body and minister to one another. When he said in 1 Corinthians, he said, I was not, when I came to you, I couldn't speak to you as spiritual mature people. I had to speak to you as babes, but it looks like I still have to speak to you as babes. Paul was saying after three, this is about three years, after three years of you being in the Word, I still got to talk to you as babes, which is funny because we still deal with the same thing in churches today because the enemy has still, it's like the enemy has still got his grasp on that thing. How many of you, don't raise your hands, but I want to I know how many of you feel qualified to sit down with somebody and restore someone who is caught up in a sin or a fault or has fallen? Don't raise your hand. I just want to think about that. I would imagine that a lot of you don't feel qualified. Why is that? Because he knows that if you don't feel qualified, you won't act qualified and you won't do it. And so the biggest lie is that, well, if someone's, caught, you know, if someone's caught up in adultery, what do you do? Well, we call the pastor. Everybody knows that's what you do. We need to make an appointment with the pastor and his wife because, you know. What about someone who's, uh, who's caught up in gambling? What do you do? Well, everybody knows you've definitely called a pastor on that one. That's not what Galatians says. You who are spiritual Restore such a one with a spirit of meekness and gentleness. What time is it? It's time for us to really wake up and understand that God has called us to do this together. And the biggest lie that the enemy is going to tell you is that you're not qualified. Well, in and of yourself, you aren't qualified. But through God, through Jesus, you and I are qualified. You and I are qualified. Now, go back to Hebrews chapter... I want you to go to chapter 5 instead of chapter 6. Hebrews chapter 5, verse 11. Let's go to verse 10. He's talking about the high priest. Well, we'll go to verse 9. And having been perfected, he, Jesus, became the author of eternal salvation to all who obey him. Called by God as high priest, according to the order of Melchizedek, of whom we have much to say, and it hard to explain since you have become dull of hearing. You ready? Verse 12. For though by this time you ought to be teachers, you need someone to teach you again the first principles of the oracles of God, and you have come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unskilled in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But solid food belongs to those who are of full age. That is, those who by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. I like what the Amplified 
says, it says, Concerning this we have much to say, which is hard to explain, since you have become dull in your spiritual hearing and sluggish, even slothful in achieving spiritual insight. The New Living Translation says, There is much more we would like to say about this, but it is difficult to explain, especially since you are spiritually dull and don't seem to listen. The, the crux of Christianity, especially here in the States, it seems to be, has been that we have a very passive attitude towards church. We have a passive attitude towards Christianity. And he says, by, the, by this time, you ought to be, what? Teachers. How many of you feel qualified to teach the Word of God? Now, let me ask you this. Who's he talking to? Is he talking to ministers? Who's he talking to? He's talking to the church. For, both, for though by this time you ought to be teachers. Do you see the expectation that, that God, that, that really the Apostle Paul writing the, the book of Hebrews, that God has put on the church that He expects us to be teachers. But yet, how many of you have heard that taught in church? How many of you have heard that we're all ministers? I mean, I know you've heard it here, but I'm saying growing up, think about what have you heard? You've always heard that the ministers are the ones that are the professionals. They're the ones that are supposed to go do the ministering. And that is, that's not the truth. That's not the case. See, there are people that only you can reach that I can't reach. My responsibility, my heart, and my desire is to help you, David, reach those people that only you can reach. Ryan, it's my job to pour into you and to pull out of you those things which you can only reach. There's only certain people that are going to listen. They ain't going to listen to me. They're going to listen to you because you country, right? Ain't that right? He's, they're going to listen to you because of your personality, because of your relationship with them, and I can't affect them, but I can affect you. I can help you. I can pull it out of you. I can pray for you so that when you go to work, now you begin to disciple and pour into those men and restore them that have fallen. Jamie, there's only certain people that you're going to be able to reach that I won't ever reach. Uh, uh, Brother Barry, there's people that you're going to come in contact with that I can't reach, but you can reach them. One of the things that excites me about, a, about being a pastor is when I hear of things that have gone on and the, the, our leadership team or those that are in leadership or those that may not even in, be in leadership, but I hear they've taken that task on for themselves and now they begin to pour into that person and begin to restore that person. You know why people don't want to share their heart? Why they don't want to open up? to us as Christians in churches because they are afraid that we will expose them to everybody and everything. And can I tell you, that's not the heart of God. The heart of God is to see a man restored, to see a woman restored in the safety of relationship through biblical principles and that you get to such a place where now you begin to share your testimony and the people around you go, I never knew that happened. That's the heart of God. We have, um, 
we have, I know I have personally, have taken great strides to endeavor to cover those situations in which we minister to. Sometimes to the expense of my own reputation. Sometimes to the expense of opening myself up and opening us up to ridicule because we never exposed that situation because I knew that the Lord didn't want to do that. That wasn't the heart of God. So what do you do, pastor? You turn it over to the Lord and you let the Lord deal with it. The Lord is the judge. God himself will cause those things to happen that need to happen. And trust me, those things which are done in darkness will be revealed. The principle of the kingdom of God is you, those who desire to be first shall be what? First? No. And those that desire to be last shall be first. The Bible says to humble yourself. The Bible never said that God will humble you. He said, if he's got to humble you, that's not humility. <laughs> if I got to humble you, that's not humility. That's like if I, got, if I catch you doing something. It's like you, you, you catch your kids doing something. And, you, and they say, and they begin to repent and say, I apologize for doing that. But it's a whole nother level when they come to you and say, I did wrong and I want to apologize. Humility comes from us. We humble ourselves. He said, humble yourselves before the mighty hand of God. And who will exalt you? He will exalt you. I, I want you to understand that it is time. What time is it? It's time for you to step up to the place that God has called you to step up. I know. You know, I, in preparing this message, I thought, well, I hope there's not a whole lot of visitors or new, new believers because they're going to be like, man, I just got born again. I don't even... Well, you know what? There's a step for you if you just got born again to step up to another level. There's a step for me. The Lord said to me at the beginning of the year, He said, I'm calling you, meaning us, but He said it to me, I'm calling you to a higher level. But in order to go higher, you got to go deeper. And man, I'm telling you, I've wrestled with that thing because there are things that the Lord is calling me, asking me, not asking me, because my relationship with Him is different than that. He don't ask me some things no more. Sometimes He just tells me things. There are things that He asks me. But in this, He said, I'm calling you. To a higher place. But in order to go higher, son, you got to go deeper. And I said, yes, sir, how do I go deeper? And he said, all right, here's what you do. And he began, he's, he's continually laying these things out for me, how to go deeper. Well, I'm telling you, as your pastor, I'm telling you that as the body of Christ, God is calling us to a higher level. But in order to go higher, we got to go deeper. And that means you got to go deeper. That means you've got to go deeper than you've ever gone before. And you've got to understand that Christianity is not passive. It's active. And God's calling you to be active. I know this, that's not normal traditional church. But actually, it is. Normal traditional church, according to the book of Acts, is active. It says, and they met from house to house breaking bread and fellowshipping with one another. And the Lord added to their church daily those that were being saved. 
the next revival, the, 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 the second coming of Jesus will be ushered in by the generation that understands that church is one aspect, Sundays is one aspect of what he's called us to do. But the real change, the real revival is going to happen outside of these walls. The walls are just going to be filled with the people that you have impacted outside of this, outside of this building. This generation, what they call the millennial generation, is not interested in events for the event itself. They're interested in events because of the relationships that they're starving for. I read an article and, and, and I had a conversation and I read an article that got me stirred up. This younger generation, you know why they like Twitter and Facebook? And I downloaded Snapchat yesterday on my phone and Lainey goes, Daddy, you don't know how to do Snapchat. I said, baby, I know how to do Snapchat. Father, how do I do Snapchat? I don't know how to do those things because that's not my generation. My generation was, I didn't, I didn't grow up with the iPhone. My first phone I had was that big old thing. You know what I'm saying? It's like this. You walked around with, hello? I mean, that was my phone. When I put it in my pocket, it was like a Bible sticker. Boy, you thought you was cool. You're walking around with that big phone. Hello? But this generation, my, my four-year-old can take my phone and unlock it and go to any app she wants to and play any game she wants to. She knows when mama calls because she recognizes the letters. She didn't know how to read them yet, but she recognizes them. I didn't grow up with that. And I know my parents didn't. <laughs> I'm bored. Really? Bored is riding in a 1992 Toyota Corolla four-door, five-speed, in the back seat with your brother, and you don't have, and you ride, and the air don't work, and you've got nothing to do. That's bored. Tell me, you got a phone and an iPad, and you got all, you got, I mean, you can, you can go to Africa, to the jungles, and probably get reception. Bored. See, that, but that's, the, that's why the generation has a hard time because the millennium, you know what they're craving? They're craving relationships. Took all that time to get to this spot right here. You and I cannot restore anyone without a relationship. Do you know why people don't want relationships? Let me say it this way. Take the millennial generation. You know what I mean when I say millennials. Everybody that's under the age of 25, raise your hand. Okay, there's your millennial generation. Okay, excluding them. Do you know why Generation X, my generation, anybody from the age of, let's say, 26 to 30, maybe to 40, 45 years old, that's my generation, Generation X. And then you got the baby boomer generation. Do you know why the Generation X doesn't want to be in relationship with people because they're afraid that they're going to be exposed, they're afraid they're going to be hurt, and they're afraid they'll have to change something. But the millennial generation, they're craving it. They're craving what we have. They're starving for someone to pay attention to them and to be interested in them, and we're too busy doing church that we forget to be the church. I met with our leadership, some of our leadership the other night, and I said, we're not, I don't want you ever to be concerned with doing church. I want you to just be focused on being the church. 
And what's happening in our, in our four connect groups is encouraging. I mean, there's relationships being built in those connect groups. What's happening in the youth group, what's happening in the children's ministry that are just phenomenal, the things that are taking place. Because people, you know why these people, you know why people come to events? They come to an event in hopes of establishing a relationship. My generation went to the event because, hey, we ain't ever seen nothing like this. But it's hard to wow the millennial generation. So they'll come to these events because they're starving for true relationship. Because they won't change. They want to be changed. They don't want to wrestle with the things they're wrestling with. They don't want to go through the things they're going through. But they hadn't found the answer. And they've been searching on Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, the internet, everywhere and everywhere. But they can't find it. Why? Because it's not found there. But we can use those mechanisms to draw them in. Ephesians 6, 2. Now listen, go back to Galatians chapter 6. You who are spiritual. So how, how, does, this, how does this happen, Pastor? How, I mean, I don't, bring it on down to, to our level. All right? Galatians chapter 6 says, You who are spiritual, restore such a one. How do you restore someone? You who are spiritual. Now that word spirit means this. Pertaining to the nature of spirits. It means a body dominated by the spirit in contrast to a natural or soulish body which obeys one natural's instincts. Someone who's fleshly. And if I ask you to raise your hand, every one of you could raise your hand. Name somebody that's carnal. Name somebody that's very fleshy. You know it. Why? Because you see them entertaining the natural instincts of the flesh. The natural instincts of the flesh is to be satisfied, to be occupied, to be doing something. That's the flesh. We all know what that looks like because we've experienced it. We've done it. Maybe you did it this morning. Maybe you've done it while you've been sitting. You know what it looks like. He said those who are spiritual, which means those who understand that and say, hush. And now they allow their spirit to be the dominating force in their life. Now see, I'm getting into how do you become a spiritual person. You become a spiritual person by understanding, number one, that you are a spirit. You have, you possess a soul and you live in a body. But yet we've spent a lot of time developing the body and the mind. We, talked, we were talking last night about emotional, mental conditions. We've spent a lot of money and a lot of prescriptions on helping people with their mind. But we've never addressed the main problem, which is their spirit. We've allowed our mind or we've allowed our flesh to be the dominating force and not our spirit. And he says, you who are spiritual, you who govern your life according to your spirit, and you allow your spirit to be governed by what, which is what you think, what you say, and what you do according to that word. And so you've allowed that now to become the dominating force in your life. And as a result, now you are classified as a spiritual person. Okay, so in Ephesians, he says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood, 
But we wrestle against principalities and rulers of darkness and spiritual wickedness. Now watch this. In chapter 4, verse 3, he says this. Even so, when we were children, we were in bondage under the elements of the world. But when the fullness of God, or fullness of time, everybody say time. What time is it? When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God has sent forth the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying out, Daddy! Therefore, you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir of God through Christ. The elements. You and I were slaves. We were under bondage to the elements of this world. Now, the word elements originally comes from a Greek word that refers to the triangle on a sundial for determining, guess what, time. You and I were in bondage to the elements, to the patterns of thinking about time. From there, it came to be applied to the going in order, advance in steps or rows, elementary beginnings, and the learning letters of the alphabet. In the New Testament usage, however, the word refers to the elementary principles of the Old Testament, the rudiments of both Jewish and Gentile religion and culture. So when Paul said you're no longer in bondage to the elements, he says you're no longer bondage, listen to this, to the spirits of the demonic dimension that find easy alliance with the rituals and philosophies of human religion and tradition. And so the elements of the world are actually evil spirits that use the rituals of the law and the world to enslave, condemn, and destroy you. You and I are no longer under those elements. You know those natural inclinations that seem to come from the... They come from the law. They come from the world. Well, the, you know what, Pastor? You know what the Bible says? An eye for an eye. That's what it says. No, that is a natural inclination established in the world by the law and by Satan for the purpose of keeping us from the new covenant. And so part of us redeeming the time is understanding that now we step into a whole nother level where we're no longer subject to those influences. We're subject to the influences of the Holy Spirit. Is that not what the world wants? Is that not what the world is craving? They're craving it to such a degree where they will spend millions of dollars, thousands of dollars individually, trillions of dollars corporately and globally to try to identify what it is that causes the mental capacities in people and how they can keep them from being depressed. And yet we've never dealt with the spirit of a man. So I'm asking you again, what time is it? It's time for us to wake up and understand that God is calling us to a higher level. 
But there's a deeper level that God wants us to go. And in order to go there, we're going to have to understand that we're not subject to the elementary thoughts and principles of this world. We're to be governed by this. This is so much more powerful. Listen, if this... I thank God for medicine. I thank God for doctors. But I thank God for doctors who use this in conjunction with what they're doing and they base their life off of this. Because if this can't help you, and guess what? It can. This is the answer. He is the one who authored this, and he is the answer. And he is the one that can has already, listen, he has already delivered us. He has already provided everything that we need, everything that you could possibly desire and everything that you could possibly need in your life from beginning to end has already been provided. It's just a matter of us stepping into it. You know, when we talk about restoration, that's really setting the bone. It's talking about setting the bone. God's called us to, set, to help set the bones of those that are hurting. He's called us to, if you never get beyond yourself, you will never get beyond yourself. The only way that we are going to reach the world, how did those 12 men get beyond themselves? They had one man named Jesus that poured his life into them and at the end of their life, they began to pour into others. And then Paul came along and he poured in to Timothy and to Philemon and to Titus and to many other men. And he began to pour into them and then they began to pour into others and they began to pour into others and then we arrive where we're at today. He is calling us to a higher place, to a higher level. And the word qualified should not, unqualified should not even be in your vernacular. It shouldn't even be in your mind because he's qualified you because he's qualified you. And he will bring you to that place. Amen. Stand with me. Hallelujah. You know, as believers, we have the responsibility to step beyond ourselves and to begin to bring folks that don't have the answer. We have a responsibility to embrace them. And the enemy knows that. And so the thing that the enemy wants to attack us in is that. He wants to keep you in bondage, keep you thinking that you're not qualified, keep you thinking that you can't help nobody because if if he can keep you there, he can stop you from ever making an impact. This is part of redeeming the time. There are so many things that God is excited about, that God has called us to do. But if we can't get beyond ourselves, and look, you know, at the beginning of this is what I wrote in my notes. There's a concept that God's trying to get over to us that in the literal sense 
is foreign, but in 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 the uh, but really is not is not a foreign concept. But because we've not embraced it as a church, as a culture, it's been hard because it is foreign to us. And so I wrote, it's time to begin to talk about some things and move in the direction that's going to stretch us. Everybody say stretch us. It's time for you, for us, to go to the next level. He desires for us to have His kingdom perspective. Do you know what time it is? It's time for us to step up to a level that we understand that it's not just about us. I know sometimes that's challenging because we've created a society that caters to us. But the people out there that need what we have through Jesus are hurting and they're craving it. And you've got it. You might not even think you've got it, but you've got it. It's in you. In some form or capacity. It may be small. You may be a, a new believer. You may be five days old in the Lord, but it's in there. And the best thing that we can do is to begin to have a kingdom perspective. Stop thinking about this as a one-time event. Stop thinking about it as an event. Start thinking about it as a lifestyle. There's a culture that, we've, that we're creating, that God's creating, that He's calling us to begin to step out and to begin to reach those around us. He's calling us to a higher place. I don't know about you, but I want to go. You know, when the children of Israel were in the desert... It says in Deuteronomy that they had been there for 40 years and all the older people that had complained and disobeyed God had died away and there was only two men, Joshua and Caleb, that were left. And the word of the Lord came to Moses and Moses said, it's time for you to move from this mountain. Pick up your eyes and begin the journey. I don't know where you're at, but I shared that with our leadership team the other night, and I'm sharing it with you. It's time for you to quit being at the mountain that you're at. It's time for you to pick your eyes up and say, all right, Lord, I know you've called me to ministry. All right, Lord, I know you've called me to begin living as a godly Man, I know you've called me to begin to live in relationship with you. And I'm tired of running. I'm tired of chasing. I'm tired of doing all that. I'm ready. Pick up your eyes and look at where he's calling us to go. And that's where he's calling us. That's where he's calling you. I want you to bow your heads and let's just pray. Let's just go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you for where you're taking us. Father, I pray that you help even what I couldn't articulate be articulated in their spirits and in our spirits by the Holy Spirit. For we put our trust in you, not in man. And I put my trust in you. That even if I couldn't even get it out or express it the way that I wanted to express it, I thank you that you can as the Spirit of God within us to express that in our hearts.
Thank you, Lord. So maybe you're here and maybe you've never made Jesus the Lord of your life. What does that mean? You know, you've heard that before. What does that mean to make him the Lord of your life? That just means you come and you say, you know what? I'm tired of trying to do this on my own. I'm ready to do it the way you want me to do it. That's all it means. I'm tired of running. Well, does that mean I got to come to church? And does that mean I got to do this? And that means I got to do that? No, that means what you got to do is you just got to go to the Lord and say, here I am. I'll do whatever you want me to do. I'll go wherever you want me to go. And I'll say whatever you want me to say. That's what it means to be the Lord of your life. And so I don't want, I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But I would like to pray for you. So if everybody with every head bowed and every eye closed, if that's you, can I pray for you? I just want to pray for you. If that's you, just raise your hand. I want to pray for you. Hallelujah. Maybe you've been running and maybe, maybe you're tired of running. Maybe you're the one that's been skirting around the mountain. It said in Deuteronomy chapter 2, you've, you've been skirting, you've been running around this mountain long enough. It's time to leave this place. Maybe that's you. Maybe you've been running. Maybe you're ready to, ready to really run the race that God's called you to run. Can I pray with you? I just want to pray with you. Hallelujah. Thank you, Lord. Father, in the name of Jesus, I just pray for all of us, everyone here, that, Lord, that we would embrace what you've called us to do. And that, Lord, that we would recognize and understand that you desire to be, number one, in fellowship with us. And that's your heart. And that's your desire. To just know us. To delight in us. You created us for your delight. And so it gives no more pleasure to you than to be in fellowship with us. And so, Lord, we thank you for that. Lord, I, I pray and desire that all of us continue to step up to the level that you've called us to step up to. Hallelujah. Just pray this with me. Father, help me to redeem the time. I will submit my life to you. I will follow you and I will do what you tell me to do. In the name of Jesus. Amen. Amen, amen. Hallelujah. Well, Kevin, why don't you come dismiss us in, in prayer. Bless us and pray over us. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for this day you've given us, Lord. Father, we thank you for the word and the testimony, Father, that's been shared today. Father, just uh, open our eyes, Father, and our hearts to your, your word and how it, even for those that don't believe that it still works today, it does, Lord, Father. Father, we just thank you that we can carry this word out, and Father, and just spread it all over, Lord. We thank you for this day. Thank you for your love, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.